1: Hey guys, this
0: is LD from the Rock and Roll Heaven Podcast. Just want to give you guys a short parental advisory and trigger warning. This episode, we have discussions about alcoholism, alcohol consumption, bootlegging, and we do have descriptions of suicide. So if any of that bothers you, we completely understand. And we hope to see you next week where we pick up Grand Parsons Part 3. We love you all. Enjoy the episode.
2: You're digging the Rock and Roll Heaven Podcast with LD, Will the Thrill, and TJ, 2
0: hey guys welcome to rock and roll heaven the podcast where we talk about the lives careers and deaths of famous musicians i am your host ld along with me for the ride riding solo with me this week is will the thrill
1: ah yes alone we stand together (laughs) greetings and salutations and then i'll open this okay what are you drinking i'm enjoying a clearly canadian it's a little taste of my youth. I am not Canadian, but I used to drink it when I was young. So there's the connection. <laughs> well,
0: the only reason why you drink it, like, the only reason why it's in the house is because I drink it like it's water.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: So my brother, tj 2 the deuce, who's normally riding with us this week, unfortunately can't make it this episode. Of course, you guys know he's in the news cycle, so apparently there might be something brewing in South Carolina that we don't know, but mm. he is chained to his desk right now. So he will be back for episode three but unfortunately he will be missing this part, but he does listen to these episodes. I don't know why he was there, <laughs> but he listens to the episode.
1: Doesn't sound like work, which is good.
0: Yeah, which is nice. So I guess in lieu of actually speaking about anybody who passed away, we do have like two pieces news that we should talk about in the music world, which is what happened to People's Choice Awards the other night, which was Anthony Ramos and Bella Ramsey. If you don't know who those are, uh, Anthony Ramos was in In the Heights, and he was also in Hamilton. So, if you have Disney Plus, you can see the stage show of Hamilton, and he plays John Lawrence, and he also plays Philip Alexander's son. And Bella Ramsey is, of course, Lady Mormont in Game of Thrones, but she was also Elle in Is Ellie in The Ellie, Last of Us? Yep. She's right. Ellie in The Last of Us. So she gets up on stage, and then she says this,
1: and then there are the who also think that they're singers. Jack Black, Ariana DeBose, and Ken himself, Ryan Gosling. Can you feel the Kennergy? Can you feel the Kennedy?
2: I feel the Kennergy. I feel it. Look, it's a lineup fit for the Grammys.
0: Okay, so (laughs) what she says is people who think that they're singers. So Hmm. Ryan Gosling, who's already been in two feature films that I know of, singing, which was Barbie and La La Land. Jack Black, who is literally in Tenacious D, like an actual band that went on tour, has albums, like has music videos. And then the, the one that really irritated people was Ariana DeBose. Ariana DeBose is an Oscar winner. She has been in multiple Broadway shows, including with Anthony Ramos, the guy who's presenting the award in Hamilton. The girl can sing. The girl can wail. And so there's a lot of kick up about that. But the thing is, I'm glad that most people aren't pinning this on Bella because, of course, the writers were the one that wrote that joke. So she's just reading off a teleprompter. But apparently they hugged it out afterwards. It's okay. Because right after that, I'm just Ken won the People's Choice Award, which also has people's booties itching because... Of course what was I made for which is also from Barbie done by Billie Eilish was snubbed for the song mm-hmm. and people are like you guys missed the whole point of everything he's literally he's he's literally saying he's just can and he's not important. and she's singing her and like by the way if you've never heard Billie Eilish do what was I made for you might not get through the whole song because you will be crying so that was the the big thing that kicked up at the People's Choice Awards and then Of course, I watched the Emmys for one thing and one thing only, and that's the In Memoriam. Mm. And Cheese and Crackers. That year was so, so sad because you can watch the entire video online, but they got me multiple times because they did Charlie Puth's See You Again. yeah, And they ended on Matthew Perry because they blended the two songs of I'll be there for you and see you again.
1: It's you, my friend. And I'll tell you all about it when I see you again. You've come along.
0: There for me oh God, I was, it was like 7.30 in the morning. And I'm just openly weeping while watching it. So if you haven't seen those, I'll try to figure out a way to post some of the stuff on our social media. Some of them are like from the official websites of like the Emmys and the People's Choice Awards. So I'll try to figure out how to do that. But that's about, It's all the news to print for right now, so I think right now is a perfect time for our first sponsor break, and we will get back and tell you all about at least six years of Graham Parsons' life.
2: Hello Pantheon Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price.
0: And we are back. All right. So what are we doing today? We are on to part two of Graham Parson's life. And when we last left, we had been introduced to Graham's mother and father and got a little brief insight into Graham's life. When we initially left off, he was only nine years old, which I mathematically believe is already one third of his life. I'm not great at math. So, you know, don't bother to tell me if I'm wrong. I can already see Will is trying to figure out if 26 and nine go into each other. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, it's close. If he was 27 Club, it would be, you know, a third on the nose. But you're you're close.
0: It's like 8.6, isn't it? Something like that. So,
1: yeah, it's something like that. Effect. He's not quite 27 Club, so.
0: Yeah. So apparently, even early on, Graham was a little bit of a ladies' man. Mm. During the school year, every Saturday, they, they would all go over to Graham's, like his school would go over to Graham's. They'd go into his house. They'd play records and dance. Now, he's in the fifth grade, and it's 1956. Rock and roll had just hit its peak, and so music was really all these kids cared about at the time. And so they'd have these parties. The records would belong to Graham, but they let the girls pick their songs. But even at that point, the girls were trying to pick songs that they thought Graham was like to get into his good graces, so to speak. Hmm. Now, it should be noted that at these parties, Coondog and Big Avis were not in attendance. They would be at the country club, and I guarantee you, you probably know what they were doing.
1: Based on the previous accounts, I can guess.
0: Yes. So after the Saturday dances there would be another ritual where he would go buy more records. Now, you got to know at this time Waycross Georgia was way too small to have its own record store. So they would go over to Ware, W A R, which I believe is the county name that they lived in, but they would go Ware county, to the, Georgia? Yeah, they'd go to Ware Tire and Battery where all the locals would go buy auto parts and bicycles and records. So the fun thing about it, Awares, was that they had this little closet that you could go into and it was padded and you could listen to the music before you bought it. And Graham would buy anywhere from 10 to 15.45 a week. So Coondog had, yeah, so Coon had a charge account and Graham picked up just whatever he wanted. So as an idyllic, as an upbringing as it seems that Graham might have had, behind the scenes there was a lot going on. The Connor family was suffering. Big Avis began to suffer from depression and added pills to her heavy consumption of alcohol. I will not say I know what pills she was actually taking, but for the time, I'm guessing it was the ones that they referred to as Mommy's Little Helper, uh, mm. and it was possibly some kind of amphetamine. Like an upper? Yeah, I'm assuming. Now, from what it seemed, they were still very much in love with each other. Like, even if she left the room, he would give her a kiss, and his mother had this little wooden carving of a hound dog. And she would never go to bed without it. In fact, one time she woke up in the middle of the night, she was in Florida, and she misplaced it, and then she spent the rest of the night looking for it. Oh, jeez. Now, the housekeeper that we spoke about before, her name was Louise Cohn, Their housekeeper doesn't believe that Big Avis would hang anything over her husband's head, especially when it came to, like, finances or his jobs. But apparently she was the kind of person that could really hold her liquor because Cohn said, that she never saw her in a place where she didn't know what she was
1: doing. Is that an interesting way to phrase that?
0: Yeah, well, it just tells you, like, she could handle her liquor.
1: Right. I have never, never thought of phrasing it that way. She was,
0: she was never not a lady. Now, the drinking that they would do was done at home. They weren't street people. They weren't rowdy. She also talked about coon dogs drinking. She said, Mr. Connor drank a little, but he was such a sweet person that when he drank, he never hurt anybody. Didn't hurt her didn't hurt us. I can't even remember saying an unkind word to us. He never got riled up. He was never a Riley person. He was a good person who loved his kids. When he get like that, he would go to his room. Mm. In 1956, the Connors sent Graham to an expensive military academy in Jacksonville, Florida. That decision to send their son away when he was only 10 kind of indicates that the household was under a little bit of strain. But his parents did visit him often, and they would bring up his friends when they did visit. Dickie Smith says, I can remember going down there and shooting some basketballs at the Boyles Gym. Graham would not return the following year to the military academy. He would go back to go to the public school in Waycross. Things were not getting better at home, though. Coon Dog was under a lot of pressure, which came from Big Avis's family. So it didn't actually come from Big Avis herself. It came from the family side. They were basically treating him like hired help. They would boss him around, never ask for his opinion, or if he offered up some kind of idea, it was always brushed off. So really, like, he was being ignored by her family constantly. O.J. Cowart remembers a trip that he took. With coondog to another snively box manufacturing plant in georgia he said that he stopped at a liquor store and brought a pint of old fosters to
1: drink on the way up it's a i wouldn't call it desperation brand of whiskey but um,
0: is it it a headache is Is it a next day headache kind of whiskey
1: Uh, i i I gotta admit i probably had it a long time ago i don't remember it's it's something you'd get basically to to get drunk i mean that's
0: why buy it. All right. Now, if you ask some of the other people who live in Waycross at the time, there was something else that was bothering Coon Dog, which was the fact that he found out that Avis was cheating on him. And of course, this loops back to those wife swapping stories—not just the shoe parties, but also apparently they've added in the key parties that I was talking about last week.
1: So you got the shoes and the keys going.
0: Yeah. How is anybody going to get home? They're missing and a they shoe gonna, and how Walk. Yeah. <laughs> but it wasn't the opinion of the town that she was just having sex with other people but that she was actually having a bona fide love affair with a doctor now this is all conjecture it's all rumor uh, there's also a rumor that miss connor had been caught with this doctor about five different times but again it's a small town and of course there are people that say this is absolutely 100 percent true they saw it with their own eyes and then other people say That is absolute nonsense. So, you know, there's his story, there's her story, and somewhere in the middle, there's the truth. And I don't think we'll ever know that because, again, you're dealing with small town politics with an incredibly rich family. Either way, Avis was unhappy and Coondog was under immense amounts of strain. Now, at this time, Coondog had really ramped up his drinking. He once told the supervisor that he had to quit just to prove himself that he could quit. And he said he wasn't trying to prove it to anybody else but himself. And he stayed sober for a month. He told that same supervisor he fell off the wagon because his wife and friends were drinking. So he just thought it was socially acceptable and started again.
1: Wow. I mean, and we didn't have, I think at that point, programs for addiction like we do now. So I can't even imagine. Like, there's virtually no support system. There's, there's nothing. Exactly.
0: And this is back when, like, like still, the thing is, drinking has kind of always been socially acceptable. Like, Oh, absolutely. So... Uh, But yeah, you didn't have those programs back then. At least I don't think we had those programs back then. And when you're living in a small town and there's not a lot to do and your friends get together and kind of expect it of you, you know, so I get that. I come from a small town. This is I'm not saying this particular thing is our story, but like I get the politics and I get, you know, the the rumors and things, because that's the, mm. the kind of town I came from. By the late 1950s, the Snidely's holdings included 1,800 acres of orange groves, and the family controlled 20% of the citrus industry. That would be the largest family-owned, privately-held citrus company in the world. It's bonkers. Now, Avis's father, John Sr., had built all of this with his hands, and in 1957, he was looking toward his own death, and he predicted that what would happen... To the family after he had passed he said i'm leaving my family a whole hell of a lot of money and in 10 years it will all be gone and he was pretty much right wow john snively senior died in january of 1958 and just as he predicted the generations after him were not as frugal as he was and they lost it all jake snively Hmm. one of the sons said the one thing that destroyed my family was alcohol my grandfather was my great-grandfather was an alcoholic my grandfather is now an alcoholic, and if you look at the history of the family, alcoholism is rampant. Alcohol is what created all the division in the family. Avis had been who they affectionately called Papa John's favorite, and after her death, it hit her really hard. She would spend even more time in Winter Haven with her children, leaving Coon Dog on his own. And when Coon Dog was on his own, he really didn't have a lot to do. He spent a lot of time in an office making a special stock for his rifle. He would spend hours on it. According to the book 20,000 Roads by David M. Meyer, he had a special piece of glass that he had sharpened and would shave down the stock. He would sit on a stool and hold it in a vise and work on it for he doesn't even know how many hours. Now, there's a rumor that was going around that Avis had told Coondog that she was going to file for divorce, but again, rumor. But Hmm. whatever the truth was, by the end of 1958, just after Graham had turned 12, Coondog was done. That Christmas, he bought a special present for his son. He had recognized Graham's love of music, and Coon Dog bought him a reel-to-reel tape recorder. So on December 21st, Coon Dog drove Avis and the kids, Johnny Barnes and Louise Cones, to the Waycross train depot and set off for Winter Haven. Coon went home and told him that he'd drive down to Florida by himself on the 23rd. Later that day he phoned Graham's friend Dickie Smith and Henry Clark. He told them Graham was getting a reel-to-reel tape recorder. Smith recalls that was going to be his big gift and apparently back then it was a really big deal. So Graham could just make music on it. So Coon had called his friends over so that they could tape a message to Graham wishing him a Merry Christmas. He then went to a local photographer and made arrangements for an 8x14 color photo of himself to be mailed to his mother. In that photo coon wore a suit a tie and a big smile on the morning of december 23rd christine dixon came to clean up and she was the last person to see coon dog alive somewhere between her departure late morning and freddie barker's arrival in late afternoon and apparently freddie barker was a fumigator so he had made he had made a an appointment to come fumigate and he was supposed to arrive in late afternoon Cecil Coondog Connor shot himself in the head with a thirty eight caliber revolver. Freddie found his body when he came into Fumigate, as Coondog intended that he should. The Wakers journal ran the story on the front page on December twenty fourth. And this oh, wow. is an excerpt from that. A.J. Willis said Connor was found lying across his bed and been shot in the right temple. A thirty eight caliber pistol was found near the body. An inquest will be held at a later date on completion of an investigation the coroner said connor vice president and manager of Smiley Groves, has been active in the boy scout movement in the waycross area for a number of years he served the neighborhood commissioner of the central district chairman of the central district the member of the okefenokee area council and vice president of the 23rd council Regional County Regional Council. Several years ago he organized and was the scoutmaster of Troop eighty, sponsored by the Grace Episcopal Church. The troop was given the same number as Connor's squadron in World War two. He was instrumental in the development of Cantochi and Little Blythe Island. He was a member of the Brotherhood of the Order of the Arrow of the highest honor conferred on an adult scout leader. The Snivelys had his body shipped to Winterhaven as soon as the inquest into his death was concluded. So, like his son would be soon, Coondog Connor would be bar- buried far away from home. Wow. Avis decided to withhold the news of their father's death from Graham and little Avis until after Christmas Day. Graham had spent the holiday quietly away from his Snively cousins. The kids were told that their dad was not going to be there for Christmas. And this whole time that they're waiting for him, they think that he's driving to
1: them it's just crazy
0: so he has been dead for two or three days now and the kids have no idea and the parent then and Avis is just like he's not gonna make it to Christmas this year you know so the kids think they're driving there. and then what's crazy is Avis didn't want to call coon dogs family with the news so John Sniley jr. had to call and tell them there had been an accident that he had been shot and he was dead Pauline recalls, he told us that Cecil was cleaning his pistol and it went off and he asked if we would tell our mother and father. We got into the car and drove up to my mother's house and my husband said, you're in no condition to tell them, you stay in the car, let me do it, you can come in in a few minutes. So I sat there and he went into my house and he told my mother and my father and a few minutes later I came in. We were all four in just such shock, just sick at heart, there's no way to describe the feeling. And then Graham did receive his Christmas gift from his father and the family legend has it that he made a few you know just practicing with it he made a couple nonsensical recordings on one side and then he turned it over and decided to play it and on that other side was his father's voice emerging from the machine just saying just remember I will always love you
1: man that is crazy
0: yeah Dodie Whitaker says that when the family finally told Graham, he yelled out this blood-curdling scream. Everything in the house was quiet and hush, because normally, you know, this family was loud. They were boisterous. There was a ton of them. They were always moving, shaking. But you could hear his scream, and that's all you could hear. Wow. So as a continuing effort to make sure that her children had a happy Christmas, she postponed the funeral until a few days, somewhere around December 27th. Back in Waycross, the official story was that Coondog's death had been accidental. And I'm I'm just speculating here, so please don't get mad at me, but I'm pretty sure the family had something to do with that official story. Being Were that they it was promoting accident.
1: the idea that it was accidental?
0: Yeah, I think so. We
1: think, we think, yeah.
0: Allegedly. Right. But, of course, like we've talked so many times about the subject it is a small town and so many people thought that there were probably marriage problems but most people didn't think that he was capable of committing suicide so Mm. you know there might have been more of a ideology in the town that he wouldn't have done this so it had to have been an accident as
1: opposed to thinking oh this is a cover-up yeah that and the family probably was honestly in denial yeah
0: yeah should be noted that Graham and little Avis did not attend the funeral, but that was actually a norm within this family. The kids were sheltered from death. In mm. fact, death was never discussed with them at all, which that's where we differ because my father, like, you know, I had people pass away when I was, you know, my babysitter passed away when I was, I think, six or seven. and well. told me
1: about that.
0: And, you know, she had committed suicide. And so i learned about death really early on and then of course my father taught me everything i know about how being a paranormal investigator so like death is just kind of a, a normal thing for me i guess so <laughs> um it's still hard but you know it was introduced to me very early on in life right. uh, coon Dog's siblings and parents were at the funeral though and they went into their in-laws house afterwards and flabbergasted when they found a cocktail party in full
1: swing Oh wow! They wasted no time, huh?
0: Well, the event had already been scheduled, and it seemed no point in canceling it since everyone was coming over anyway.
1: Oh, hey, why should makes, good taste prevail?
0: Makes total sense, right?
1: That's horrifying. That is awful.
0: Yeah, and so for Graham and Leavis the shock was even greater because their father's death was never discussed with them, and they had to face their losing their father so suddenly, and the complete uprooting of their entire life because. At this time, Big Avis decided that she was going to leave Waycross completely and move back to Winter Haven with her family. So all this happened, and she was just like, we're leaving Waycross. Because the only reason why they were in Waycross was because one of the Snively's box companies, which Coondog was running, was in that town.
1: Was there no reason to be there?
0: Yeah. But of course, like, they had friends. <laughs> they had... Right, you'd you know, think. Yeah. So they packed up their house in Waycross Cross and moved to the Snidely Mansion back in Winter Haven. They sold their house to the sheriff of the town, who was hilariously named Robert E.
1: Lee. Well, I mean, intentional, I'm sure.
0: And apparently, if you want to go visit the house, you actually can't because Ware County takes its politics extremely serious. And when it's election night and nobody is home, someone will just, I guess, firebomb the house. Are you kidding which, me? Which is what happened. And it was completely, what? it was apparently completely destroyed. It was demolished.
1: What? Good Lord.
0: Yeah. So, and that was according to the, the book, 20,000 Roads. Okay. But there was something in that book that was like kind of funny about it. It was like, no, people just say
1: moved. <laughs> no, no, it, it got a Molotov cocktail through the window. That's not moving.
0: Yeah. So at this time. It's bonkers. Yeah, it is. So at this time, Graham became increasingly withdrawn after learning the truth about his father's death. Susan Alexander said that, and, and Susan is one of his cousins, said that it was a turning point in his life. They had to leave their leave-it-to-beaver home in Waycross, where they had this great house in a small town, and they had close friends, and it was, it was ordinary. It was nice. It was warm. There was a whole other dynamic in Winterhaven. It was never as low-key and carefree had, as they had known before, and he wasn't the happy-go-lucky kid that they knew in Waycross. All right, and checking in on Avis, you have to remember that she has lost her father and lost her husband in less than a year. So yeah, that's she, a lot. yeah it's a lot. It is a lot to go through. It's incredibly tragic. like losing two of the most important men in her life within a sure. year. I can't only, I can only imagine what she went through. So she began to go through her own kind of grief process. So all that motherly love and attention that she was used to giving the kids as they were growing up kind of went by the wayside because she was trying to figure out how to deal with her own grief. Mm. And again, we're talking about 50s, 60s. They don't have, like, you didn't talk about mental health back then. It just wasn't proper. You just kind of
1: dealt. And made assumptions. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that's what the medical community did. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And in the aftermath of his father's death, Avis became really moody and strict to Graham. But instead of punishing him, she would actually march Graham to her brother's room and have him discipline Graham. Hmm. And so anger that wasn't part of his personality when they were living in Waycross sort of started bubbling to the surface now that they live in Winter Haven. And uh, so he starts doing like what any other kid does when they're in this situation and they need attention, they start acting out, right? You start doing things to try to gain attention. So one day they had a brand new Sunday school teacher at church and they decided to break her in. So while she was writing on the board, Graham stole her purse, passed it around to all of the kids, you know, pulled out what they wanted and then stuck the purse onto the kitchen stove where it melted and that was the last time they ever saw her. And she's like, I'm out. (laughs) yeah so he has done a couple of these pranks and i'm going to tell you guys a story in just a second i'm going to give a trigger warning for it so hold tight but don't get anything twisted because graham's iq was genius level he was quick-witted and very sarcastic now What i was saying before was i'm going to give a trigger warning because i know i gave a trigger warning at the beginning of this episode but now i'm going to give you one for a story that i am about to tell so if you want to skip ahead a couple minutes i completely understand because this does have to deal with the death of an animal Mm -hmm. and makes me uncomfortable to have to tell the story so if you guys just want to push the 15 second button a couple times you should be good but I don't, I don't want anyone to have to listen to the story about a passing of an animal that doesn't want to hear it. So, start pushing the button now. But it comes out that Graham could not stand the sight of human blood. But one day he put a firecracker in a frog's mouth and blew up the frog. Ooh. That's when he found out he couldn't stand the sight of his own blood, but he could stand the sight of the frogs. Okay, that is uh. the that's the end of the story. But... And I don't want to talk about it, but that's that's where Graham stood right there. OK, okay. so and then Graham had another blow because while Avis and Coondog's family had remained cordial up to Coondog's death, Pauline, which was Coondog's sister and her family went down to visit Graham and little Avis. They announced to the family that they would never be able to see the children again. They would not let them see that half of the family again, and they wouldn't until Graham invited them to his high school graduation. good lord. Yeah. Now, we've said it before. I'll say it again here. Avis was beautiful. And so she consistently had people knocking on the door after Coondog's death. But the thing is, the family worried about the men that she was seeing because they thought that these particular men just might be trying to get at her fortune. A few months after the death of her husband, Avis met Robert Parsons and fell hard for him. And he was the exact kind of person that the family feared.
2: You're he was great.
0: a, yeah, yeah. The way that he appears in my head is kind of like just a, you know, a slimy used car salesman kind of person. Hmm. Just in my head. But if you know Parsons and he is a great guy, okay, I stand corrected. <laughs> but in my head, I've got a picture of him and it's a, it's a movie version of this guy. He was a snazzy dresser, a real smooth talker, and did not have the best financial situation, but somehow he managed to have a pet ocelot.
1: Where do you get an ocelot? I don't... I don't know. Like Amazon? I don't know.
0: I don't... I don't think you can buy live animals on Amazon. And Amazon...
1: to get an ocelot.
0: Didn't exist back then. Right? So, I guess you just ask somebody for an ocelot? I don't know. An ocelot
1: breeder? I don't know.
0: Yeah. Now, he was living in Cuba in the late 50s, and he was working in a citrus industry. What a shock. And although that's exactly what the connection was to the family, the rest is kind of up for debate, how he actually kind of conned his way or wormed his way into this family he Uh was recently divorced and left behind two daughters and his wife discovered that he was cheating on her so that's why they separated apparently Uh he had to flee Cuba after Fidel Castro seized power at the end of 1958 and the beginning of 1959 according to Parsons he oversaw getting his employees and key business files out of the country just in time he claimed to be one of the last Americans out of Cuba so, oh, wow. shortly before leaving Cuba, he made friends with Avis' uncle, Thomas, and they seemed to bond over drinks in Havana. Thomas seemed to see some sort of potential in Parsons, so he invited him up to Winter Haven to talk about managing a plant in Florida. And so, that was sometime in 1959, and pretty early in the year, he arrived in Winter Haven and spent a week as the East Nively's guest, and that's when he met Avis. Hey... So flash forward to years of dealing with Parsons, left the Snivelys, and then unanimously, what's the word for this? Bad? Uh, <laughs> yeah, opinion of him. <laughs> Rob Hoskins summed it up by saying, the man is pure evil, like having 666 tattooed on the back of your head. I wonder so they how didn't they have, really felt. They didn't really have a high opinion of him, I'm guessing. So, Clearly not. But even the people who hated him couldn't deny that he was dapper, affluent, and gentlemanly
1: so gentlemanly oh well
0: yeah but I, like have you ever met somebody who's like perfectly fine perfectly fine but for some reason you just don't like them if like really
1: there, there's always a reason for that like it does come around and you figure it out hopefully not before it's too late but
0: yeah i i think that's just what it is it's like somebody you just smell something on them it's just like something's not right here you know and i mm-hmm. think that's what this was was just like they could if he's working in the citrus industry, he knows the Snivelys, you know?
1: Clearly, yeah. And so
0: just, like, running into the uncle is a little weird,
1: like... Mm, it's a little coincidental, yeah. It's
0: coincidental, but it could be all a coincidence, or he could have possibly put it all together, you know? and was like, exactly. bing! And most people agreed that Avis was in love with him, but she probably didn't love him the way she loved Coondog.
1: Hey, LD, I'm sorry to cut in here and interrupt the flow, but we do have to take a break for our sponsors. That was nice. And we're back.
0: Great. Let's get back to Graham. Parsons was also eager to father Avis's orphan children. Not sure Hmm. if he understands what orphans are.
1: Maybe not. I don't know.
0: But he was he was interested in adopting them. So people saw him as a family man. He wanted a family and he felt like Avis and Graham needed a father. So he jumped right in and treated him like they were his own kids. And it should be said that although most people really disliked Parsons, the one thing That they can all agree on is that he did support graham and his music and he was good to little avis now big avis and bob parsons became engaged and not much is known about the wedding but you guys you remember when we were talking about coondog and avis's wedding like there was a write-up in the newspaper it was the talk of the town they had talked about the doilies the centerpieces the dress and how she looked how he looked dashing daring courageous and caring faithful and friendly Wait, no, that's the gummy bear thing. That's
1: name. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say. Sorry,
0: like remember they had like full articles about what she was wearing, and that didn't happen with this one. It took place sometime in 1959, but nobody knows exactly where or when the ceremony was. What she wore, who said what vows, nobody seems to even remember attending, if they did attend. <laughs> so yeah, it right? might have happened. I don't know. You think yeah. The the way that story was written, it was just like meh, I have no idea. Now, the one thing that Bob and Coondog had in common was that he graduated high school during World War II and immediately enlisted in the Air Force. And he served as a tail gunner on B-57 bombers. But unlike coming home and marrying into an extremely wealthy family, to the love of his life and fathering two wonderful kids, he actually had to move into government housing because that's what he could manage at the time so now jumping back to our present day sometime after the wedding bob adopted graham and avis and both took his last name john carlton remembers that graham told him i am no longer ingram connor i am now ingram cecil parsons ingram cecil parsons and there was i was trying to decipher the whole higgledy piggledy (laughs) thing that happened but apparently, when Bob was adopting Avis and Graham, there was some sort of kerfuffle. I was—I okay. read it, I reread it, and I read it again, and I could not decipher what the thing was. But he was trying to adopt them in Louisiana. Hmm. Because, and, I, you know, forgive me if this is wrong, but because if you adopt them in Louisiana, if something happens to the other side of the family he gets more of a financial gain. Oh, okay. Because it's in that state? Yeah. And I, I think I have that right. I'm going to try if I, if I reread it again and I have to amend that next week, I absolutely will. But yeah, it was, it was like six pages of legal speak and I did not understand it. (laughs) But basically he was trying to pull something in the adoption of the two kids. So shortly after he and Avis were married, Parsons brought, Becky and Jan, his daughters from his first marriage to Winterhaven. Jan was little Avis's age, and Becky was a year younger. So they've got four kids in the house now. Eventually, Parsons and Avis set they settled into a one-story ranch house in Winterhaven. Graham had a room at the end of the house, off of the family room. It was it was originally designed as a maid's quarter in the room, but that became Graham's private universe. And just so you understand what a maid's room is it's not intended as a place for the maid to live or even stay overnight it was used as a changing room and nap rooms because maids would usually work a 12-hour day but most importantly the maids room had the only attached bathrooms and that way employers would never have to share the bathroom with what they called the help so Graham. graham gets his own bathroom hey the other thing is graham also got a door to the outside world from his bedroom. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, so it's at the end of the house, and so it's his room, there's a bathroom, and then he's got a door that leads outside. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure nothing bad will come of that.
1: No, that's that's. I'm sure it's fine.
0: Yeah. Graham furnished his room with turntables, guitars, upright pianos, decorated the walls with album covers, and he spent most of their, his time there listening to his records and playing his instruments. His friends would come over, and they would exclusively spend time in what they called his bunker, he had a piano, a television, his own bath, and a fridge, and so he could also, with that back door, come and go as he pleased. Now, at the time in Winterhaven and other, you know, nearby towns in Polk seemed to be sort of a weird anomaly when it came to music. While other small towns in the rural Souths involved in race baiting, hot rodding, high school football, the kids in these towns were forming bands at extremely young ages this is what i was talking about okay. to you honey okay. one one musician who grew up there was uh, bobby braddock who became the premier country songwriter of the last 30 years and has 13 number one records one of which was george jones's he stopped loving her today and mm. uh, the other one was tammy Wynette's divorce he was a couple of years older than graham and raised just outside auburndale bobby traces the musical roots of graham's generation in the 1950s there was a program called in, called the polk county express which was, you know based in winterhaven and it was a mix of pop music and what they called hillbilly now most kids would split themselves between the two and this is just before rock and roll started to come along people stopped listening to country or hillbilly and they discovered black music and that is really mm. when rock and roll was born So after Elvis emerged, country wasn't an acceptable form of music in Polk County, even though its roots had been grown from the South. Nobody listened to country except for the lower class people. And that was actually a quote. So don't quote me. That was Dickie (laughs) McNear.
1: Don't take my word for it.
0: I didn't say that. But yeah, that was a quote from Dickie McNear that basically said, like, nobody listened to country. And now there was a show at... Club 92 called Texas Ray. Texas Ray was black and he played the harmonica. And being the star of the show, he appeared on stage only the last half of the set. The rest of the time in 1959, he stayed in the kitchen because he wasn't allowed out front. Remember, this is still the time of the Green Book and Jim Crow. And so you really still had that segregation. Mm -hmm. And um, I should tell you at this time, it was really hard to get a drink in Polk County because liquor was illegal.
1: It was Dry County. Mm.
0: Dry County. It was one of the largest, most heavily populated dry counties in the South. And until 1964, the only legally available kind of alcohol was a 3.2% beer. Now, to lawfully purchase liquor required a trip across the state line. And I'll tell you that the county was so huge that, quote unquote, getting over the county line to buy liquor was time consuming. It was a hike. So there was a boon for handmade moonshine known as boot liquor there was a restaurant called the bluebird winter haven where you could buy this liquor they would actually store it in the back of a hollow of an orange tree and so when you would go pick up your burgers through the drive through they would give you your burgers and a paper bag nice yeah so so between garages and youth centers being places to practice and places to perform in Polk County, it kind of became a fertile ground for creating bands. On Friday nights, bands would play and the kids would get to know the musicians, and rockabillies. There was actually a rockabilly band called the Blazers that were huge in Polk County. Grant Lasser led the Blazers, and he first met Graham at a youth center when Graham approached him about finding players to form his own band. Graham remembers a kid of 14 with braces. He said he had a lot of presence and was really bright, that they would later become really close friends. Graham joined his first band called, drumroll please. It's not actually that interesting. They're just called the Pacers. Which I don't think is a bad band name at all.
1: No, I was expecting far worse. I mean, we've had some good ones on this on this podcast. So no, these are actually bad band names.
0: These are actually passable names, in that like the, the Blazers. Eternal
1: Triangle.
0: The the Blazers. That's a cool name.
1: No, that that is again. I was expecting something bad.
0: The Pacers. That was a car, wasn't it? Like a cool car. I think.
1: Uh, I don't know. if It was a car. I know Pacers. Like like there's a race car that is a pace car. I know that.
0: But either way, still a cool car. Yes, because isn't the pace car, the car that you have to follow, so it's always the leader. Eh? Yeah, yeah, it
1: basically sets eh? the tone. Yeah, yeah.
0: here's me knowing absolutely nothing about cars. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, we we need a ruling. We need a ruling. Yeah,
0: so that was his first band, and that was 1916. He was the lead singer, and he was in the eighth grade. The Pacers were, and I'm gonna probably gonna mispronounce some of these names, so I apologize. But it was Martin Cleveland on bass. Skip Roster on drums, Jimmy Allen on guitar, and Jimmy and Skip were two years older than Graham. And they were actually sophomores at Winter Haven High. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> it should be said at this time that Graham was not the greatest guitar player in the world. What? And uh, yeah, and Grant, G-R-A-N-T, play that well either. Uh, this is all a bands of high school kids who had only been playing for like a year or two. It was basically a garage band. And the pacers are remembered as not much of a band at all kind (laughs) of in name only and uh, graham's time with them was short because in 1961 the legends which also is a good band name that is so we got the pacers the blazers and the legends i'm not legends yeah come on guys like these teenagers are coming up with better names than some adults can i'm shocked Uh, so they were born and so Stafford was on guitar, Carlton was on stand-up bass, Graham was on guitar and piano, and Lamar Braxton was on drums. The legends featured a pickup horn section, three or four players that were usually anchored by Grant Wissert on trumpet. And the legends were set up for success because Bob bought a collection of red blazers and who was ever in the legends that week wore those blazers on stage. So they already have like a, a signature look and they would play songs like johnny Be good night train harbor lights guitar boogie guitar boogie shuffle and plenty of elvis of course you gotta have the elvis
1: i mean know. Yeah.
0: and graham was still going to shows at this time but he was still too young to drive so his friend dougie would drive him to the shows at the lakeland civic center and they would see roy orbison the four seasons jerry lee lewis and other touring acts of that age and when he was only 15 Graham himself promoted a regular Battle of the Bands at the Armory in Winter Haven. So he'd like make phone calls and get these kids to come to the Armory, attend the Battle of the Bands, participate in the Battle of the Bands. Kids 15! Like, (laughs) this kid is music. He is music. So the Legends did play these Battle of the Bands and did most of the bands in the county. So now reintroducing Bob Parsons into this, he would demonstrate his flair for style and forward thinking, by buying a Volkswagen van to haul the legends around in 1961, VW vans in Winterhaven were about as common as a remote control TV and a backyard roller coaster in Waycross, Georgia. Dougie Jeez. Wiggins was usually the driver because he was the you know the oldest and you know could drive because Graham can't even drive yeah, at this board. Yeah. yeah, they would play their gigs and earn a good amount of money appearing regularly on High Time, which was a Saturday afternoon teen dance show on Channel Eight that was. Tampa's local imitation of Dick Clark's American Bandstand. And the legends would actually play the infamous 92 Club, where liquor was openly stirred and they served in a very staunchly dry county. So mm-hmm. uh, we've been through two bands, let's say two and a half bands already. So I think this is actually a good place for us to stop, because this is actually where we have our first
1: song. Ooh. So...
0: Do you have any thoughts about this episode?
1: No, I mean, it's just I know we're largely building to who Graham is, and you have to see like, you know, the past that led him there and just the you know we've had a lot of a lot of tragedy with the parents in the last couple of series. I mean accurate, you know, Dwayne lost his father, you know, Graham loses his father and just that the idea of that message is just so chilling like he just turns the recording over and it's his dad's voice. It's just like oh
0: i I can't I can't even imagine. You know, and talking about Big Avis, the woman has been through so, so much. She was her, you know, the apple of her father's eye and he passes away. And 11 months later, her husband is found dead. Like, you can't, all of a sudden, she's just alone with her two kids. She's got her family. Yeah, but... I can't imagine what she's going through. I can't imagine what the Lavis is going through. I can't imagine what Graham goes through because they also lost their father and their grandfather in that same yeah. amount of time. So it's a lot to lose. And it doesn't get a whole lot better. And that's, that's the thing that really is a bummer. But the one thing you can't deny is Graham's passion for music. So, all right. Well, that's, that's it. That's all. Yahoo. That's the whole episode. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and read off our socials and we'll say goodbye. So if you think that we're doing a good job and you'd like to throw some cash our way, you can go to patreon.com backslash rock and roll heaven to check out all of our really cool tiers there. A lot of cool stuff. Why bother with Twitter? I don't even know why I have this still written on the sheet of paper.
1: Yeah, it's it's a thing.
0: It's, it's there, but it's rock and it is roll there. LT. If you want to go look at the crumbling graveyard that is that. That is humanity. Yeah. Well, just specifically our page because I think we're coming up on our two-year anniversary pretty soon. I think it's I'm April. I'm not using Twitter. <laughs> I'm not using Twitter. it's hilarious because I, I lost the passcode and just am too lazy to figure. It it like, oh. hey, yeah. Whatever. Uh, but we do our Instagram and it's fun over there. So you can check us at Rock and Roll Heaven LT. You can. Sorry. Instagram is Rock and Roll Heaven LT. Our Facebook, Rock and Roll Heaven Pod. Again, thank you to Admin Thea for you know, being on top of everything. She always kills it over there and really appreciate it. Still not saying our website. You can check out our TikTok at Rock and Roll Heaven Pod or you can email us at Rock and Roll Heaven LT at gmail.com. And please make sure to check out all the other awesome Pantheon podcasts at pantheonpodcast.com. And if you truly love us, want to make our day, head over to Spotify or Apple Music and please leave us a five star review. And- if you want to write a small review, just like, Hey, I like these guys. I miss the giggling hillbilly. He should come back.
1: That would no, be great. The giggling hillbilly.
0: Not a giggling hillbilly. He was missed this week, but that's our socials. If I said anything too quickly, just check the show notes. Everything that we talk about is over there. And so that is it. Thank you guys so much for checking this episode out. Please make sure to pick up next week when we're going to be talking about grand part three, and. The song that we're going to be closing out to today is Graham Parsons and the Legends with their cover of Let It Be Me. Now, it's only 28 seconds long, so it's going to be on the shorter side of songs that we play, but I hope you guys like it and I hope it doesn't blow your ears out because uh, back then they did not have the best recording of came to recording 28-second songs. So, please enjoy. I hope you guys have a fantastic week and we will see you next time. Bye-bye.
1: Mm-hmm. So now ne-